0: chapter 1 of there are realistic alternatives this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by benjamin gittens there are realistic alternatives by dr Jean sharp chapter 1 developing a realistic alternative to war and other violence. Violence in society and politics, whether in the form of war, terrorism, dictatorship, oppression, usurpation, or genocide, is widely recognised as a grave problem. All the proposals to solve the problem of violence, or particular expressions of it, have been unsuccessful. It is probable that the problem remains unsolved because such proposals have been based on inadequate understandings of its nature. Without understanding a problem it is difficult, if not impossible, to solve it. The objective of this essay is to explore a different perspective on the nature of the problem of widespread violence in society and politics that suggests what will be required for its resolution. We need to analyze the conditions under which it will be possible to reduce drastically the reliance on military and other violent means of conflict we need to examine why violence is so widely regarded as necessary for good causes as well as for bad ones, and how fundamental change away from that syndrome might be achieved. The perspective in this essay is simple, but perhaps fundamental to solving the problem of violence in political and international conflicts. It is important to recognize that conflict in society and politics is inevitable, and, in many cases, desirable. Some conflicts can be resolved by mild methods, such as negotiation, dialogue, and conciliation, methods that involve compromise. These are feasible when the issues at stake are not fundamental. Even then, the resolution of a conflict by negotiation is more often influenced by the relative power capacities of the contenders than by reasoned joint assessment of where justice lies. However, in many conflicts, fundamental issues are, or are believed to be, at stake. These are acute conflicts. They are not deemed suitable for any resolution that involves compromise. In acute conflicts, at least one side regards it as necessary and good to wage the conflict against hostile opponents. Acute conflicts are often believed to be waged to advance freedom, justice, religion, or one's civilization, or to resist and defeat hostile violence hostile violence may be applied to impose oppression injustice or dictatorship hostile violence also may be applied to attack one's moral or religious principles or human dignity or even to threaten the survival of one's people in acute conflicts at least one side regards submission capitulation or defeat as disastrous for its principles, convictions, whole society and at times even to life itself. In such situations people believe it is necessary to wage the conflict as strongly as possible. The need for a means of waging conflicts. War and other violence have been applied for diverse purposes, but in acute conflicts, political and international violence has served as a means of waging the conflict to protect and advance causes believed to be good and noble. Violence has been believed to be the necessary alternative to passive submission to great evil. In most political systems, war and other violence serve as an ultimate sanction. That is, forms of violence are believed to be the means of last resort, the most powerful activity that can be applied, the final means of applying pressure, punishment or power, when all presumably milder means are seen to have failed, or to be destined to fail. Violence Is used then it is believed to advance and defend all that is held to be good and worthwhile unless this role of violence is understood there is no possibility of a major reduction of reliance on war and other violence in acute conflicts in conflicts with basic issues at stake It is naïve to think and act as though the offer of negotiation or dialogue is an adequate response. Hostile opponents are most unlikely to abandon their goals or means without a struggle. It is unreasonable to aim for a win-win resolution. Brutal dictators and perpetrators of genocide do not deserve to win anything we have many decades of evidence that violence in the conduct of conflicts is not eliminated by protests against such violence in acute conflicts the majority of people will not reject war and other violence because they believe or are told that such violence violates ethical or religious principles adherence to expectations to the contrary is unrealistic it has been nearly forty years since psychiatrist Jerome D Frank reminded us that for most people peace is not the highest value people groups and governments will not renounce violence when that is seen to mean becoming powerless and helpless in a conflict in which their basic beliefs and the nature of their society are or are believed to be under attack in acute conflicts in order for war and other violence not to be used as the final means of action to advance or defend one's principles ideals society or existence some other means of strong action need to be available there has to be a substitute means of conducting the conflict powerfully, with the chance of success equivalent to, or greater, than the violent option. Of necessity, such a functional alternative must be able to deal satisfactorily with the hard cases for which violence has in the past been believed to be required. These hard cases include conflicts against dictatorships, foreign invasions and occupations, internal usurpations, oppression, attempted genocide, and mass expulsions and killings. A very important clue that such an alternative is possible lies in the fact that the strength of even dictatorships is dependent on sources of power in the society which in turn depend on the cooperation of a multitude of institutions and people, cooperation which may or may not continue, as we shall see later in more detail. There is another technique of struggle. Such a substitute for violent conflict is a realistic option. It is often forgot that war and other violence have not been universal in the conduct of acute conflicts. In a great variety of situations across centuries and cultural barriers another technique of struggle has at times been applied. This other technique has not been based on turning the other cheek, but on the ability to be stubborn and to resist powerful opponents powerfully. Throughout human history in a multitude of conflicts one side has fought not by violence but by psychological, social, economic or political methods or a combination of these. This type of conflict has been waged not only when the issues were relatively limited and the opponents relatively decent. Many times this alternative form of struggle has been applied when fundamental issues have been at stake and when ruthless opponents have been willing and able to apply extreme repression. That repression has included executions Beatings, arrests, imprisonments, and mass slaughters, despite such repression, when the resistors have persisted in fighting with only their chosen nonviolent weapons, they have sometimes triumphed. This technique is called nonviolent action or nonviolent struggle. This is the other ultimate sanction. In acute conflicts, it potentially can serve as an alternative to war and other violence. Cases of Nonviolent Struggle Nonviolent struggle has occurred in widely differing cultures, periods of history, and political conditions. It has occurred in the West and in the East. Nonviolent action has occurred in industrialized and non industrialized countries. It has been practiced under constitutional democracies and against empires, foreign occupations, and dictatorial systems. Nonviolent struggle has been waged on behalf of a myriad of causes and groups, and even for objectives that many people reject. It has also been used to prevent as well as to promote change. Its use has sometimes been mixed with limited violence. The issues at stake have been diverse. They have included social, economic, ethnic, religious, national, humanitarian and political matters and have ranged from the trivial to the fundamental. Although historians have generally neglected this type of struggle, it is clearly a very old phenomenon. Most of the history of this technique has doubtless been lost, and most of what has survived has been largely ignored. Many cases of the use of nonviolent action have had little or nothing to do with governments. Cases include labor management conflicts and efforts to impose or resist pressures for social conformity. Nonviolent action has also been used in ethnic and religious conflicts and many other situations such as disputes between students and university administrations. Important conflicts between the civilian population and governments where one side has employed nonviolent action have also occurred very widely. The following examples are often of this type. From the late 18th century through the 20th century, the technique of nonviolent action was widely used in highly diverse conflicts, colonial rebellions, international political and economic conflicts, religious conflicts. And anti-slavery resistance. This technique has been aimed to secure workers' rights to organize women's rights, universal manhood suffrage and women's suffrage. This type of struggle has been used to gain national independence, to generate economic gains, to resist genocide, to undermine dictatorships, to gain civil rights to end segregation, and to resist foreign occupations and coup d'etat. Cases of the use of this technique early in the 20th century included major elements of the Russian 1905 revolution. In various countries, the growing trade unions widely used the strike and the economic boycott chinese boycott of japanese products occurred in 1908 1915 and 1919. germans used nonviolent action against the capuch in 1920 and against the french and belgian occupation of the ruhr in 1923. in the 1920s and 1930s indian nationalists Used nonviolent action in their struggles against British rule under the leadership of Mohandas K. Gandhi from nineteen forty 1940 to nineteen forty five in various European countries, people, especially in Norway, Denmark, and the Netherlands, used nonviolent struggle to resist Nazi occupation and rule. Nonviolent action was used to save Jews from the Holocaust in Berlin. Bulgaria, Denmark, and elsewhere. The military dictators of El Salvador and Guatemala were ousted in brief nonviolent struggles in the spring of 1944. The American civil rights nonviolent struggles against racial segregation, especially in the 1950s and 1960s, changed laws and long established policies in the U.S. South. In April 1961, non-cooperation by French conscript soldiers in the French colony of Algeria, combined with popular demonstrations in France, and defiance by the Debris de Gaulle government, defeated the coup d'etat in Algiers before a related coup in Paris could be launched. In 1968 and 1969, following the Warsaw Pact invasion, Czechs and Slovaks held off full Soviet control for eight months with improvised nonviolent struggle and refusal of collaboration. From 1953 to 1990, dissidents in the communist ruled countries in Eastern Europe, especially in East Germany, Poland, Hungary, and the Baltic states, repeatedly used nonviolent struggles for increased freedom the sophisticated solidarity struggle in Poland began in 1980 with strikes to support the demand of a legal free trade union and concluded in 1989 with the end of the Polish communist regime nonviolent struggle also brought about the end of communist dictatorships in Czechoslovakia in 1989 and in East Germany estonia latvia and lithuania in 1991 the attempted hardline coup d'etat in moscow in 1991 was defeated by non-cooperation and defiance non-violent protests and mass resistance were highly important in undermining the apartheid policies and european domination in South Africa, especially between 1950 and 1990. The Marcos dictatorship in the Philippines was destroyed by a nonviolent uprising in 1986. In July and August 1988, Burmese Democrats protested against the military dictatorship with marches and defiance, brought down three governments And finally, that struggle succumbed to a new military coup d'etat and mass slaughter. In 1989, Chinese students and others in over 300 cities, including in Tiananmen Square, Beijing, conducted symbolic protests against government corruption and oppression, but the protests finally ended Following massive killings by the military. In Kosovo, the Albanian population between 1990 and 1999 conducted a non-cooperation campaign against repressive Serbian rule. When the de facto Kosovo government lacked a non-violent strategy for gaining de jure independence, a guerrilla Kosovo libertarian army initiated violence this was followed by extreme Serbian repression and massive slaughters by so-called ethnic cleansing which led to NATO bombing and intervention starting in November 1996 Serbs conducted daily parades and protests in Belgrade and other cities against the autocratic governance of President Milosevic and secured correction of electoral fraud in mid-January 1997. At that time, however, Serb Democrats lacked a strategy to press on the struggle and failed to launch a campaign to bring down the Milosevic dictatorship. In early October 2000, the Otpor resistance movement, and other Democrats rose up again against Milosevic in a carefully planned nonviolent struggle, and the dictatorship collapsed. In early 2001, President Estrada, who had been accused of corruption, was ousted by Filipinos in a People Power 2 campaign. In order to understand better those conflicts and their outcomes, it is important to understand the nature of this technique. Characteristics and methods of nonviolent struggle. In this type of struggle, instead of using violence, people have practiced three general types of behavior. First, they have engaged in symbolic protests, such as marches, vigils, distributing leaflets, or wearing of specific colors to communicate their support for or opposition to some objective. Second, the resistors have refused to continue existing cooperation or to begin new cooperation with the opponents or with certain practices. They have practiced non-cooperation. This has taken social, economic, And political forms for example the resistors have practiced social boycotts of opponents or have refused to participate in observances or celebrations or to attend meetings or schools that they believe support their opponents the resistors have at times discontinued economic cooperation by refusing to supply or transport goods and services or by refusing to buy or sell materials or products. Sometimes economic relations with an opponent country have been halted by government initiative. These all have been forms of economic boycott. Labour strikes have taken various forms such as a short symbolic work stoppage, a single factory strike, a massive general strike, or an economic shutdown of a city or a country political non-cooperation has included boycotts of rigged elections rejection of the legitimacy of a regime non-obedience without direct supervision non-cooperation by government employees and civil disobedience of immoral laws third Active intervention and disruption of the normal operation of the system has been applied in various psychological, social, economic, physical, and political forms. The many methods of nonviolent intervention include occupation of offices, sit downs on the street, hunger strikes, establishment of new economic institutions, Nonviolent invasions, overloading of administrative facilities, seeking imprisonment, and parallel government. The methods of nonviolent action are identified and categorized by the type of action applied, not by the motives or beliefs of the people applying it. Very importantly, this technique has been applied. By people of diverse beliefs and clearly does not require a belief in ethical or religious nonviolence, which is a, a very different phenomenon. Most often, the participants and the leaders, if identifiable, have refrained from violence because it was understood to be both unnecessary and counterproductive. The 198 classified methods of nonviolent action are listed in Appendix 2, and presented in full, with historical examples in the book The Politics of Nonviolent Action, Part 2, The Methods of Nonviolent Action, by Jane Sharp. Misconceptions A widespread series of false conceptions and misperceptions have plagued the understanding of nonviolent struggle the following are some corrections. It is widely believed that violence always works quickly and nonviolent struggle always takes very long. Both of these beliefs are false. Nonviolent struggle is often believed to be weak, but in fact it can be very powerful. It can paralyze and even disintegrate a repressive regime. Nonviolent struggle does not need a charismatic leader. Nonviolent struggle is a cross-cultural phenomenon. Nonviolent struggle does not require any religious beliefs, certainly no specific religious beliefs, although at times it has been practiced with religious motives. Nonviolent struggle is not the same as religious or ethical, principled nonviolence, but a very different phenomenon. This distinction must be made clear and not downplayed. Although it is still widely believed that this technique can succeed only against humanitarian and democratic opponents, It has at times been successful against brutal regimes and dictatorships, including Nazi and Communist ones. It is said by some persons and groups that nonviolent struggle only succeeds by melting the hearts of the oppressors. However, it has been coercive and even destroyed extreme dictatorships. Requirements for Success The choice to use this type of struggle is not a guarantee of success, just as the use of violence is not a guarantee of success. There are requirements for achieving success with this technique, just as there are with violence. Simply refraining from violence and speaking the word nonviolent. Does not produce the desired results. Some of the past instances of nonviolent action failed to accomplish their objectives. Some won only limited victories. Sometimes a victory was short lived because people did not then use it to consolidate and perhaps institutionalize their gains nor did they effectively resist new threats to their liberty. In other instances, victory in a single campaign won concessions, but new struggles were required to achieve the full objectives. In some cases, however, major victories were achieved that would have been impossible by resistance with violence. In order to better understand these outcomes, it is necessary to understand the nature of this technique. Although the ways nonviolent struggle works differ widely from case to case, it is important to identify two crucial special processes that may be present in certain nonviolent conflicts, but not in every one. These are one an ability to defy and at times to reverse the effects of repression and two an ability to undermine and sever the sources of power of the opponents repression and political jiu-jitsu naturally Dictators are sensitive to actions and ideas that threaten their power to do as they like. Oppressors are therefore likely to threaten and punish those who disobey, strike, or refuse to cooperate. However, repression and even brutalities do not always produce a resumption of the necessary degree of submission and cooperation to enable the regime to function under some circumstances but not in every case severe repression may initiate a special process called political jiu-jitsu the opponent's difficulties in dealing with nonviolent action are primarily associated with the special dynamics and processes of this technique it is designed to operate against opponents able and willing to use violent sanctions. However, political struggle by means of nonviolent action against violent repression creates a special asymmetrical conflict situation. The nonviolent resistors can use the asymmetry of nonviolent means versus violent action in order to apply to their opponents a political operation analogous to the Japanese martial art of Jiu-Jitsu. The contrast in types of action throws the opponents off balance politically, causing their repression to rebound against their position and weaken their power. By remaining non-violent while continuing the struggle, the resistors will improve their own power position. This process is called political jiu-jitsu. Political jiu-jitsu causes increased alienation from the opponents by any or all of three possible groups. Members of the opponent group itself, members of the population affected by the issues, and third parties not directly involved in the conflict. That alienation can result in the growth of internal opposition in the opponent's camp. It can also increase the numbers of resistors and the extent of resistance. It also often turns third parties against the opponents and in favor of the resistors. Undermining the opponent's power. Political Jiu-Jitsu does not operate in all situations or in every case of nonviolent action. The other major way nonviolent struggle operates is through undermining the sources of power required by the opponents, even dictatorships. This process operates primarily in struggles when the objective is to pressure or coerce a government to do or not to do something, or when the objective is to disintegrate the regime. The principle is simple. Dictators require the assistance of people they rule, without which they cannot secure and maintain the sources of political power they require. These sources of political power include authority or legitimacy, human resources, the persons and groups that obey, cooperate with, or assist the rulers, skills and knowledge needed by the regime and supplied by the cooperating persons and groups. Intangible factors, psychological and ideological factors which may induce people to obey and assist the rulers, material resources, control of or access to property, natural resources, financial resources, the economic system, and means of communication and transportation, and sanctions, punishments, threatened or applied, to ensure the submission And cooperation that are needed for the regime to carry out its policies and to exist. All these sources, however, depend on acceptance of the regime, on the submission and obedience of the population, and on the cooperation of many people and institutions of the society. Political power, therefore, is always dependent for its strength and existence. Upon a replenishment of its sources by the cooperation of a multitude of institutions and people, cooperation that may or may not continue. Political power is therefore always potentially fragile, and is always dependent on the society over which it is applied. This necessary submission and cooperation are not guaranteed, and each source of power is vulnerable to the restrictions or losses. Nonviolent action can be directly targeted to strike at the availability of each of these sources. Depending on several factors, the supply of all these sources of power potentially can be weakened and even severed. Non-cooperation and defiance subvert the needed obedience and cooperation that supply the necessary sources of power. For example, rejection of the ruler's legitimacy reduces a crucial reason for obedience by both aides and the general populace. Extensive popular disobedience and defiance creates immense enforcement problems. Massive strikes can paralyze the economy. Widespread administrative non-cooperation of the bureaucracy can thwart governmental operations. Mutinies of the opponent's police and troops can dissolve the opponent's capacity to repress non-violent resistors and to maintain their regime. Without availability of those sources of power, the opponent's power weakens and finally dissolves. The regime dies from political starvation. Contrary to popular opinion, even totalitarian dictatorships are dependent on the support of the population and the societies they rule, as the political scientist Carl W. Dutch noted in 1953. Four Ways to Success Successful non-violent struggles have worked in four basic ways. These differing ways of operation depend to a high degree on the specific conflict situation, the issues at stake, the social structure of the resisting population, the nature of the opponents, the chosen grand strategy, if any, the preferred mechanism of change, the specific methods used, and the skill discipline and tenacity of the resistors the pressures exerted may be psychological social economic and political each in varying degrees additionally the nonviolent struggle may affect the stability of the social or political system or may change its operation the struggle also, may affect the opponent's ability to continue specific policies. In certain conflicts, nonviolent non cooperation and defiance may undermine the opponent's capacity to continue to govern or may even disintegrate their regime. There are major differences in how nonviolent struggle operates in different conflicts. For example, the dynamics in a local labor strike for increased wages will differ from those in a conflict conducted by a minority group for greater rights or those of a struggle to destroy a dictatorship. In cases of success, the change may come as a result of one of four mechanisms. Rarely, as a result of nonviolent struggle, changes of attitude. ...have led the opponents to make concessions voluntarily because it is right to do so. Conversion. Far more often, the withdrawal of economic or political cooperation... ...has forced the opponents to agree to a compromise. Accommodation. At times, the defiance and non-cooperation have been so strong and so skillfully targeted and the sources of the opponent's power have been sufficiently weakened that the opponents have been left with no option but to capitulate. Nonviolent coercion. In some rare instances, the defiance and non-cooperation have been so massive, and the severance of the sources of the opponent's power has been so complete that the regime has simply fallen apart. Disintegration. Uses of a refined technique. Whether or not this technique of nonviolent struggle is, or can be made to be, a major contribution to the resolution of the problem of violence in society and politics, hinges to a high degree on if it can help to reduce reliance on violence in acute conflicts. Can it be made sufficiently effective so as to be used in acute conflicts? in place of violence in some cases the answer offered by some persons may be a clear yes but in other cases the answer may be perhaps doubtful or no those answers will likely depend upon the degree of understanding those persons have of this technique and the degree to which nonviolent struggle is judged capable of providing an effective substitute for violence In acute conflicts. It is possible to learn how to make this type of struggle more effective than it has been in its past improvised applications. This can be done by increasing our knowledge of the requirements of this technique, spreading widely this knowledge and understanding, and increasing general and specific planning and strategy for the use of this technique in future acute conflicts. The development of a satisfactory solution to the problem of violence and the examination of the future political development of nonviolent struggle require that we give attention to the present and potential future role of this technique. This is especially important in those acute conflicts in which many people and governments believe that military means and other violence are required. The questions are, to what extent we can understand and refine this technique? How far can it be effectively substituted for violence? The future political development of nonviolent struggle needs to include nonviolent alternatives to violence in the following types of conflicts. Dismantling dictatorships. Blocking new coups d'etats and preventing new dictatorships. Defending against foreign aggression and occupation. Preserving the existence and ways of life of indigenous people. Lifting social and economic injustices. Developing, preserving and extending democratic practices and human rights. And incorporating, in additional ways, nonviolent means into democratic societies. Reducing reliance on war and other violence. For these and other general purposes and for specific conflicts, practical strategic plans needed to be developed to enable the nonviolent option to be effectively applied. As this is done incrementally, it will be possible in instance after instance to substitute refined nonviolent struggle for the use of violence in acute conflicts. In order to meet this challenge, to explore and develop the potential of nonviolent action to address acute conflicts, a great deal more research, analysis, strategic studies, policy development, planning, and courageous action is required. The tools of historians, social psychologists, sociologists, social and political theorists, political scientists, Strategists and others are needed. It is important not only to study nonviolent struggle, but also to examine other topics, including the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of dictatorships and other systems of oppression. It is also important to learn how to develop and spread the capacity to think strategically and to plan strategies for future nonviolent struggles. The application of these efforts will require going beyond, and often against, important established trends of modern society and powerful national and international forces. The centralization of power, the militarization of interstate politics, the hegemony of traditional methods of problem solving, these... And other factors work against reasoned consideration of the potential relevance of nonviolent struggle. However, there are grounds to suggest that whether a society chooses to rely ultimately on violent or nonviolent struggle in certain acute conflicts has highly important consequences for the social and political structure. It strongly appears that violent conflict tends to produce a more centralized and potentially repressive political system whereas nonviolent conflict tends to produce a more decentralized and popularly controlled political system. Military capacity can be used internally to repress the population, while non struggle can be used by the population to achieve and defend freedoms and to resist centralized repression careful informed consideration of the potential relevance and viability of means of applying nonviolent pressures and power is likely to reveal realistic options that have hitherto been inadequately explored. This approach has the potential for making fundamental changes in modern politics and international relations through reducing reliance upon violence. How much we will succeed in replacing violent with non-violent forms of conflict, thereby reducing drastically the reliance on military and other violent means will to a very high degree be determined by the extent to which we can develop and apply effective nonviolent alternatives of conflict the unavoidable question is whether we are now going to attempt to refine this technique and adapt and adopt it for use in conflicts, to challenge, replace, and remove extreme expressions of violence by effective and powerful action. End of chapter 1